0: Love, talk radio welcome to focus on Albany spotlight on the New York state Capitol. Um, my guest today is Zach Williams, and um he's going to tell us everything that happened so uh, last week we spoke about the the budget so what brings back to normal where the uh, legislature get more involved in what's going on
1: well this week um they started the a series of budget hearings on a whole range of issues from healthcare to education to transportation to uh, and the environment two of the biggies this week were the environment and healthcare. Healthcare, if you might remember from last week is a huge topic this year because so much of about closing this uh multi-billion dollar deficit depends on how much they can reduce increased costs in the state Medicaid program. The governor has already called for the the uh, establishment of a new Medicaid redesign team, similar to what he used 10 years ago to um, deal with Medicaid spending, and uh, it's been tasked with finding $2.5 billion in savings, and the lawmakers had a thing or two to say about that.
0: Oh. Good, good, good. So um, anything going on in the Senate? It's been pretty quiet
1: in the state legislature. You know, both chambers, the state Senate and the Assembly have passed a few bills here and there. But I think really all the action right now in the Capitol is really focused on the budget and you know mm-hmm. the need to really reduce savings and close that deficit.
0: So when you say close savings, are you talking cuts or are you talking tax increases?
1: Well, it depends on how you look at it. You know, there as things currently stand, Medicaid spending has been increasing every year by, you know, seven or so percent. And, you know, with the, there's about, uh, I believe, a $5 billion deficit in Medicaid alone that needs to be closed. That's the difference between what the projected spending will be and what the state, given its revenue stream, can actually support. So that's the deficit they're actually looking to cut. Whether or not they want to raise taxes to help close that deficit, which totals $6 billion in general for the um, state budget as it's projected right now, is another story. The governor doesn't want to raise taxes. The state Senate Democrats have also expressed an apprehension of raising taxes, whereas the Assembly Democrats have been a little bit more willing to entertain that idea. Some might call it cuts, but if you're looking at it from the governor's perspective, he might say that you're reducing future increases in Medicaid spending. So it all depends on the rhetoric, but the bottom line is, you know, Medicaid spending is going a certain way and unless um, the Democrats and the state legislature and the governor can come to an agreement on how to reduce those, um, you know, those projected costs, they're going to have to find the money uh, somewhere else, including through possible tax increases, which could be in the mix in the uh, months ahead as they continue to negotiate the budget.
0: When you talk about, you know, a rise in Medicare a co- Medicaid costs, uh, what what are the factors that have caused it to increase so much? Is it an older population or is it people moving into the state or or is it young people? What's the breakdown?
1: There's a variety of causes why Medicaid spending has increased, Um, but there are a few in particular that are being blamed for this, uh, you know, this uh, funding shortfall. Of course, you know, enrollments in the state Medicaid, program have increased a lot over the years, but the biggest growth has actually been not in the entitlement part of the program. It's actually been in the long-term care program, which is beyond what the state government needs to provide by federal law. Under federal law, anybody that qualifies for Medicaid has to receive Medicaid. It's an entitlement program, after all, but spending in long-term, um, um, and long-term caregiving you know, that's the type of thing where the state helps out uh, you to find, have a caregiver that comes to your home, takes care of you because you're old or disabled or otherwise facing medical problems. That's where the a huge amount of growth is. And that's where a lot of um, where the lawmakers and the governor are really looking to help curb spending, however they do it. Um, you know, another factor that the governor's office has mentioned has been um, increase, the increased, the cost of the increased minimum wage. So that's taken a big chunk, too. But I think the biggest, um, you know, element of the state Medicaid program has really been long-term care.
0: So then you're kind of like uh, saying it's baby boomers, the baby boomer generation that is making this happen. Am I correct?
1: i think that plays a big role in that we do have an aging population new york's also been losing population especially in upstate so that hardly helps matters you know we've heard for years and years and years about how you know society is going to have a big price to pay once this um once the baby boomers get into older age and this um, is just you know one among many that we're likely to see you know another thing though that you could say However, is long-term care is also serving people that aren't necessarily old, but, but people that weren't helped by the government before. You know, the disabled, um, for example, you know, now get increased support to um, have home health aids, and that's being covered by the state Medicaid program as well. So while an aging population is certainly a big part of long-term care, it's not the only part.
0: what's going on in the
1: assembly anything exciting well i think the you know in the assembly um two things that are both happening at the same time one of them of course is the budget and everything that goes along with it a lot of lawmakers are concerned about education funding for instance for their districts medicaid is something that that could um you know, the, that could really affect their districts as well. You know, a lot of what the governor has proposed is would um, is that local governments need to work with the state to find the savings and that they would actually be responsible for any increased costs in Medicaid that exceed 3% moving forward. We'll see if, you know, that in fact is the deal that is um, arrived at, you know, once once the state budget is approved. But right now, I'm sure you know, lawmakers, both in the assembly and the center, gain a lot of pressure, especially from New York city. I was just on a conference call earlier this week with the head of the city department of social services and the first deputy mayor, they're saying that if Cuomo's plan goes through the city could be on the hook for a billion dollars. That's a, it's a sixth of the whole uh, projected deficit. And, you know, while New York city has a lot more financial resources than a lot of uh, you know, than other areas of the state, it also is handicapped because in order to raise taxes, it needs state approval. So we'll see how that works out. Another thing that, of course, is still weighing on lawmakers' minds is primary challengers hanging in the background with the, you know, down that the primary date. has been moved up into June. There's going to be fewer months to get ready to campaign, and we've already seen that a lot of the, you know, primary challengers, um, whether for long-term incumbents like Kathy Nolan in Queens, Joe Lentol in Brooklyn, um, Eric DeLon, also in Brooklyn, you know, their their challengers keep getting steam, and they're just not going to have as much time to campaign back in their districts if they got to be up in Albany not only working to pass legislation but also to take part in these budget negotiations.
0: That's, that's almost like the um, Democrats that are stuck in Washington this week when they should be out campaigning in Iowa. It's kind of like the same, same type of thing, right?
1: Well, it's an inherent disadvantage of being a legislator
0: when you're running for office. is that you know, you've got a day job
1: that has a lot to do with your, uh, the job that you're campaigning for, whether it's senators running for U.S. president or state senators and assembly members here in the state that are running for re-election or any other office. You know, when, when you're not at work, constituents tend to notice when you're facing a primary challenger. One other thing that I forgot to mention, too, that's um, you know, really at the center of the Medicaid debate and on the minds of a lot of lawmakers is this Medicaid redesign team. The governor has given us the responsibility to find that point five billion billion in savings, but he hasn't named the Medicaid redesign team, except saying that he would have the same co-chairs as the last time around. At one of the budget hearings, the one focusing on health, State Senate Health Committee Chair Gustavo Rivera, every single witness, whether they had been contacted by the Cuomo administration to take part in the MRT, all but one of them said that it hadn't come up at all with discussions uh, with the administration. The only exception being um, one official, it escapes me right now who exactly it was but it was uh, the only reason they brought it up was because they were in a regularly scheduled conference call with the DOH, the Department of Health, where they brought it up proactively rather than the administration. Still no guarantees um, at all. Who's going to have a voice on this Medicaid redesign team? And I'm sure that makes a lot of local municipalities and the members of the legislature that represent them a little bit nervous.
0: You know, you you said that the... uh... Medicare costs are going to hit New York City pretty hard. Um, I bet you de Blasio is glad that his term limited out you know next year right
1: Well, the mayor is kind of at an inflection point now uh, now that his uh, presidential bid uh, has been over and done with for some months now you know he's got a couple more years in office, but he's also spent a lot of the political capital and in some ways he just doesn't seem to be signaling that he has as much interest as he might have once had in being mayor however there still are some pretty big initiatives that he's um, been paying attention to not least property taxes here in the city you know we'll see how that shapes up property taxes in new york city are a lot different than how it works out in the rest of the state where there's that two percent cap on tax increases so i wouldn't call de blasio out quite yet but he still uh, needs to get a few things done to prove his skeptics wrong. That he's, you know, just on a, a slow and politically disastrous slide into lame duck status, if you will.
0: Um, he's term limited out, but Cuomo could run forever if he wanted to, right? So he, he'd he never could. be a lame duck if he 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 wanted to continue to be mayor. You, you can never call him a lame duck, right? Well,
1: anybody that's not going to be running for re-election is a lame duck, whether or not they legally could run again. But mm-hmm. Cuomo has kept his future political plans pretty close to the chest. He still remains a very prol- prolific fundraiser. You know, I think the last report, he raised something like uh, $4.5 million in the last six months and has like $12 million in cash on hand. That's a lot of money. And it's also a signal that um that anyone that wants to challenge him is not only gonna have to have some a good political message, but it's gonna have to raise a lot of money to compete with him going forward. So he might run for a fourth term, but you know, no one's gonna call him a lame duck when he can at least threaten to run for a third term, especially with that much money on hand.
0: Hmm. So, what else is going on at the state capital that people should Ooh. be aware of? Well, I
1: think you know something that um, got a little bit of attention early in the week, but maybe not enough considering the stakes for everybody—not just here in the state, but worldwide—is what climate change activists have been up to. You know, they went to the state budget hearing and interrupted the um, the testimony. Of the state, uh, the commissioner of the state Department of Environmental Conservation, said that despite mm-hmm. what the governor mentioned in the State of the State and Budget address about, you know, a multi-billion-dollar environmental bond, they saw that he really wasn't walking the walk with climate change and efforts to combat it. They want another billion dollars for renewable energy projects in the state budget. They're leaving it to lawmakers and the governor to figure out exactly how to pay for it but they think that more needs to be done to really make the, the state true leader on this very important issue of climate change. So we'll see what happens on that front. You know, there's still details to be worked out about, you know, this $3 billion bond that Cuomo wants to put on the ballot in November.
0: Some lawmakers
1: even, some lawmakers even think that it should be more money if he really wants to invest money to undo the environmental damage that's been incurred across the state, whether it wetlands on the coast um, or any other place. He's calling it the Restore Mother Nature Bond Act. But, you know, a lot of environmentalists aren't quite uh, impressed enough. They think he needs to do more.
0: Mm-hmm. How do you feel?
1: Well, you know, I mean, it's, it's a big issue, climate change. I think, um, you know, anytime you got politicians talking about dealing with the problem, you want to see things that are a little bit more concrete you know, environmental bond sounds all well and good, although it does cost the taxpayers money in the long run. It is debt, after all. But you know, we all want to see more details about what specifically this money will accomplish. You know, what it's really going to do to help preserve our environment, and you know how influential you know New York's climate change initiatives will be on the rest of the country, on the rest of the world. You know, it. It's uh, we're just one state. It's a big state. We can. Uh, offer an example to the rest of the world, but it's only so successful insofar as uh, how other people are inspired by it. So, you know, I think it will be really interesting, you know, from a, in a political sense. It's also, you know, interesting because, you know, Cuomo likes to present himself as the, you know, the progressive progressive, the person who really makes progress happen. And anytime his left wing critics um, challenge that message, you got to listen to him a little bit hear what they got to say about how what, you know, uh, what, about how the government's rhetoric may or may not be matching the reality. So, you know, I think this, uh, you know, this will be interesting to see because the Environmental Bond Act was kind of a relatively uncontroversial part of his budget proposal. But maybe it's not accomplishing uh, as much as he says it will.
0: Mm. So, um, uh, from from what you're saying, it hasn't been a, you know, fire and uh, brimstone week then, right? I think things
1: are still laying a little bit low in the Capitol. You know, the budget hearings just started. We've had a couple of them we got an, another full week, you know, we still got to hear about all important issues like education that can really determine how lawmakers are going to approach their budget negotiations with the governor. So I think a lot of lawmakers right now are taking a wait and see approach. They want to, you know, hear the testimony, get the information they they can and use it as, as um, politically astutely as they can to get what they want in the budget, you know, in the ultimate state budget. They want Course, more money for education or districts more money for transportation projects and all those sorts of other um, investments and of course they want to stay on these legislative uh, proposals that the governor's had you know we got some pretty tricky issues gestational surrogacy for example is one that kind of scrambles the normal partisan equations you know we got a proponent like state senator brad hoyleman On one side of it, the pro-legalizing gestational surrogacy. And then we got, actually his colleague represents just about the same area in Manhattan, um, Deborah Glick, who's an opponent because she's got um, concerns about how this monetizes uh, women's bodies, if you will. So, you know, little things like that can have, you know, impact how people are going to approach other aspects of the budget if, you know, hypothetically speaking – if uh, Brad Hoylman and Deborah Glick aren't getting along on one issue, maybe they're not going to quite join forces as effectively on something else. That's not to say that in the instance of these two lawmakers, there's any um, you know any sort of uh, break or uh, lack of communication. I think I'm just noting that a lot of these smaller issues can affect how lawmakers affect the bigger issues. You know, from education, healthcare spending as well as, um, you
0: know, any number
1: of other issues.
0: How is Bloomberg doing?
1: Well, Bloomberg, from the latest reporting, has spent about $180 million since he
0: launched his campaign.
1: Seems like a day doesn't go by when there's not like a dozen emails from his press team. You know, it's a juggernaut. Right now, though, he still is not doing, you know, You know, he hasn't broken into the top tier of candidates, I think usually somewhere around fourth, fifth, sixth in the polls behind the likes of Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, Pete Buttigieg, Bernie Sanders, um, you know, uh, Amy Klobuchar. So, you know, he's spending a lot of money. He's getting his message out. But then again, he's not really competing so hard in the early states like Iowa and New Hampshire. He's really trying to build a firewall in those Super Tuesday states. know where he thinks he can pick up a lot of delegates you know those are small states in the south you know states like michigan i believe california is in the mix then so you know march is when he's really going to make his stand in this presidential run and we'll see by then whether you know his enormous wealth can and all the media buys that he's making on tv on the internet probably on the radio as well are going to make the difference but if he's not careful Some other candidate might just uh, acquire a lot of momentum. Bernie Sanders leading the polls from last I saw in Iowa, really far ahead in New Hampshire. You know, Joe Biden seems to be holding on to his lead in South Carolina. You know, if if one or both of those candidates emerge from the early states really powerful, it might be too late for Bloomberg to make a difference.
0: You know, um, the thing I find astounding about Bloomberg uh, running as a Democrat is that he uh, poured money into the uh, state Republicans to keep the Republicans in the majority, and I find that a little bit maybe disingenuous. Would you would you say would you say that
1: that Bloomberg was disingenuous? Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't quite catch all that.
0: Okay. He gave like, he gave tons of money to the state Republicans to keep them in in majority. Oh right and, right and, right. You know, and well, I haven't haven't heard that. Bloomberg's, Bloomberg's partisan loyalties
1: up. have have always been suspect. He's been a Republican. He's been an independent. He's been a Democrat. Um, you know, he's he's a man of enormous wealth, and he's always been known to use it during his um, political career for his own benefit you know if when he was trying to become mayor of new york city he gave a lot to republicans Um, when you know when later on he donated a lot to other republican candidates to solidify his political position as he got one two three terms as mayor you know while later he became an independent because of a break with the bush administration he certainly was not afraid to keep those financial ties with republicans now he's promising big money for the Democrats, and I think it's pretty clear why you know he wants to um, you know um, allay fears that he's only becoming a Democrat because he wants to get elected president, not because he's not ideologically aligned with the party, and promising big bucks for later on the campaign win or not the nomination it's just one little part of asserting his loyalty to the party so you know we'll we'll see what happens, but I don't think um, anybody would accuse Bloomberg of being overly loyal to one party or another over the years.
0: I'm looking at your your uh, Twitter feed and you 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 uh, tweeted something that Cynthia Nixon's campaign hasn't filed the necessary paperwork for financial disclosure. Um, what's her problem? Well, she, her team her, has said
1: that there were some technical issues that prevented them from uploading the necessary documentation to keep her campaign, her campaign account active with the State Department or State Board of Elections. That may or may not be true. We couldn't uh, verify that with the BOE itself, but I think it is ironic that she's had this problem considering just how much she would hit Cuomo during their 2018 primary contest on his own fundraising and his own adherence to the state campaign finance laws. I think it's just, you know, one reason that maybe we reported it a little bit is not only because she's remained politically active. She filed the same reports uh, back in July, but also because, you know, she's tried to have a moral soapbox on this issue. And it seems, at least in this instance, she fell a little bit a little bit short of rising to her own self-proclaimed standards.
0: Um, and uh, there's been big news up here in Albany. Um, Assemblyman John McDonald is being uh, challenged from the left. And um, you know, he has a, a pharmacy business, and and um, is he subject to um, financial disclosures or anything
1: well mcdonald was a pretty prominent critic of the proposed restrictions on outside income that the legislative pay committee came up with in late 2018 you might remember that was the commission that was tasked by the legislature with coming up with the appropriate level of pay raises for lawmakers for the governor and for other statewide uh, officials like the comptroller and the lieutenant governor and the attorney general and you know one thing that those legislative pay races were conditioned on beyond just paying passing the state budget by the april 1st deadline was also new restrictions on outside income for lawmakers you know a lot of them work as attorneys um, in the financial sector or any number of other things including mcdonald who actually owns a um, family pharmacy now, right. he said he wanted to keep, in, keep his involvement with the business, but that would have run afoul of the recommended restrictions, which were going to become law. Unfortunately, after, unfortunately for the proponents of, of these restrictions, a judge later threw them out, so the lawmakers kind of get to have their cake and eat it, too. They get to have their pay raises. They don't have the restrictions on outside income. From the conversation I had with the primary challenger who has declared against uh, McDonald, mm-hmm. you know, it looks like Sam Fine, who's an Albion County legislator, yeah. he said he. It seems like he's not going to hit him too hard on this issue. Although Sam did tell me that he is in favor of some restrictions on outside income, but he declined to mm-hmm. elaborate on specifically what.
0: This is going to be a real interesting race to watch. Um, because McDonald has never had ser- serious opposition before. So what's Not in on, some years. No, ever since he's been in the Assembly, he hasn't. So um, what's in store for, uh, for New Yorkers next week?
1: Well, there's going to be more budget hearings on a couple different issues. You know, we'll see what lawmakers have up their sleeves on you know, legislation as well. Um, it looks like, though, that, you know, it's going to be another kind of quiet week on the lawmaking front, but there could be some interesting, uh, you know, information coming up in the budget hearings. So we'll just have to wait and see.
0: So, you know, what's really amazing about this whole, whole thing is, you know, the budget, uh, people talk about the budget, the legislators talk about the budget until April. And then you know, then they scramble to get all the laws passed and the last couple of days it's almost like a marathon where they're they're up all night passing laws and I don't think half of those people read what they're um what they're passing, right?
1: Well it's pretty hard to read hundreds of pages of legislative language in just a few hours, so I think that's pretty safe to say.
0: So in the final moments, uh, give yourself a, a quick plug.
1: Well, I cover the legislature for city and state. We cover both state politics and New York city politics, and people can keep up with my work on Twitter at Zach Reports. That's Zach with a, an H, by the
0: way. Zach, thanks so much. We'll talk next week. So you have been listening to Um, Zach Williams on Focus on Albany, spotlight on the state state government. Uh, If you like this show, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, download on your smartphone, subscribe to iTunes. If you have a comment about this show, hashtag Focus on Albany. Zach, have a great weekend. We'll talk next week, and thank you, everybody, for listening.